Welcome to our podcast, we'd like to just sit and talk Chris and Kyle will tell a joke or two and maybe throw in a bit of style With the movies and TV, video games, comics and more So sit back and listen, cause fun is in store Maybe Welcome everybody to episode 2 of Media Sandwich Reheated I'm Chris. And I'm Kyle. And today, like every day, we got a nice thick sandwich full of media. Yeah. Hot off the uh, press, the... If, if you're making a panini. There you go. panini. Absolutely. We actually have, we have panini press at, uh, at the office. Oh, you bastard. Yes, that's, that's a top shelf perk, panini press. I haven't used it, but I could any day if I wanted to. Well, that's just even more reason to want a job there. Exactly. <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have so many paninis every day. Me, meanwhile, my office, you you get fired if you try to microwave popcorn. Wow. Yeah, because apparently somebody started a fire some years ago. Well, it always takes just one person to start and a fire. one bag of popcorn. And one bag of popcorn. I mean, yeah. we already talked about fires last time. It only takes one person and a bottle rocket or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> among other things. Among other things, there goes half the state. But, but anyhow, but we're not talking about real world stuff. Not yet. We have a couple more segments to get to. We're at the top layer right now of this panini because this is we've now decided this is a panini sandwich today where it's hot and cooked. It's smashed because we're going to try to keep this in under an hour. Oh, that'd be great. We, <laughs> we say that we said now we'll see. Uh, thank you everybody who's into episode two, of course. Uh, huge, huge thank you to our fans. It was really nice to see. We had a couple, uh, people on Twitter who, of course, responded and were really happy to hear from us again. And it makes me happy because... And, and thanks, uh, thanks to everybody who, uh, tried to subscribe to the RSS feed, <laughs> succeeded or failed, um... Uh, but I I spent the week wrangling that RSS feed and our, uh, uh, file where it's hosted um it it's it was a hell of a long week <laughs> yeah so that's the first thing so the top of the sandwich here in the panini press we wanted to give it a little bit of some 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 texture so we have a little layer of butter it's in fact it's i can't believe it's not butter which is a lie because everyone <laughs> believes it's not butter but this is the part of the sandwich now we have to talk about what is how can you actually listen to us and what does it take to podcast yeah in that order um uh for starters you can listen to us well, obviously you can listen to us because you're listening to us right now congrats you passed the first test <laughs> yes yes you are you are indeed worthy of further audio uh grasshopper <laughs> yeah so initially we just had the file hosted in a, a Google Drive, and I, I gave everybody the link on both the blog post and the Facebook, and uh, we had an RSS feed set up, but I was still trying to get approval through the various pod catchers, like the, your iTunes, your Google Play, your Stitcher, your Spotify, mm -hmm. but I was getting a, a failure code from several of them, and in investigating that, I realized that the file had some level of corruption or fake corruption mm -hmm. where it wasn't opening. I think chiefly the problem with it was that 
when you tried to open the file to stream it, uh, it was opening an embedded player, which was causing a disconnect between the file where it was hosted and the feed going to your various podcatchers. So uh, at least that's my educated guess because I switched the file over to someplace else. I changed the, the connector tags to get it into the feed and I got approval within 12 hours from iTunes and Google Play. Mm -hmm. So we are in both stores. You can subscribe either place. If you're an Android user, we're in Google Play. Or you can uh, search for us using a third-party podcatcher like uh, I use Podcast Republic. And amusingly enough, you can still find the old episodes in iTunes. Oh yeah, as, they're all still there. As video, <laughs> as we discussed yeah. last time weirdly uh so yeah if, if you're a completionist you can go back and quote unquote watch those videos there are some great videos in there slash slash audio like pull, pull them up and just listen to them obviously you i mean it's one of those weird things where we complain about it being a video podcast but i mean one thing i do when i go to sleep it now because i'm too i've been too lazy to transition all of my music over from my pc to my macbook now because i started using a MacBook, and I'm just too lazy to, to move it over. And I also don't want to clog up my MacBook with too much. just Because I have like 20, I think it was 26 to 30 gigs of just music, and I don't like to part with any of it. But I haven't transitioned it over. I've, of course, had a lot more music that I've learned and listened to in like the two years since I've been using my PC, but I just haven't downloaded it. So my main method of listening to that is YouTube, where I've made this giant playlist that I call Best of the Best, which is, of course, best for me. Who knows if it's best for you? I might actually share that one of these days. Like, hey, everybody, see the nonsense that I find amazing. And I pretty much just listen to that at night. I'll put that, I'll pull up that playlist and I will just put it on uh, shuffle. And then, I mean, my tablet has, you know, one of those little booklet things. So I close the booklet. I can't see it. And it's basically just like listening to audio. I mean, it's not basically, it is listening to audio, just not visual. Yeah, that, I mean, that, it's a... Uh... It's a lo-fi maneuver, but it works. Yeah, the only downside, of course, is that it's gutted with ads because I'm not going to pay for YouTube Red. And so every so often it'll load up the like four or five minute ad that I have to go to the book, hit the skip button. And the worst ones, though, it's like a three minute ad and it's like, oh, it didn't load the skip button. I really, hmm. does anybody actually pay for YouTube Red? Because I'm pretty sure that that's still a thing that hasn't been proven to be worth it at all. I like on one hand, it would be nice to not have to get ads. On the other hand, if you use an ad blocker, you kind of don't get ads anyway. However, I don't use an ad blocker uh, because at least on YouTube, because I've had enough uh, YouTubers that I follow who have made it very explicit. Hey, if you use ad blockers, this makes it really difficult for us. And I'm like, that's totally fair. I'm not going to make this more difficult for you. YouTubers have it hard enough as it is. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll deal with an ad. I boy, I've been dealing with far worse ads than the ones that I'll pick up from my usual YouTube channels. Uh, I this is a tiny digression. I uh, got into CISO for a little bit. Oh, right, right. I think you mentioned this last time. Yeah, possibly? yeah. Uh, mostly through uh, the My Brother, My Brother and Me show and Dan Harmon's uh, Harmon Quest. Mm -hmm. From there, CISO got. Well, CISO died, mm -hmm. unfortunately, and those two shows in particular, and along with Jonah Ray's uh, show, ended up over on VRV, which is the new 
I don't know how new they are, but they're the company that owns Crunchyroll, and right. they they sell like a packaged subscription to a bunch of streaming things like, uh, like Crunchyroll, Shutter, uh, Rooster Teeth, a couple others that I can't quite remember, but it's all you know you can get all of those for like ten bucks a month, which I haven't done yet, but thinking about it because Harmon Quest season two is on there, mm-hmm. but. If you get the subscription, it's ad-free. If you stay with the free uh, account, then you got to watch the same ad of uh, Kit Harrington walking through Italy, <laughs> hawking Dolce Gabbana cologne. Mm-hmm. And I can deal with that, but it's just so silly. Yeah. Like Jon Snow's excellent Italian adventure like five times over the course of a half hour. It's interesting, and they they mix the ads. The audio on the ads is mixed so much higher than the show, mm-hmm. which I, I complained on Twitter about, but I complain about a lot of things on Twitter, including the RSS feed problems that we had. That is what Twitter is for, is to complain. <laughs> that, boy, most people understand that, yes. Yes. Well, that was, in fact, this is where we lead into ad space. We're talking about ads. Might as well talk ad space time our segment where we talk about the ads and the advertisers that sponsor us such as blank yeah at this point uh <laughs> this space for rent this space for rent if you are an advertiser and wish to advertise through us as usual the usual things contact us we'd love to hawk somebody in the meantime and... then i guess we should just show for somebody that hasn't told us to show from yet just because we feel like it well, and also, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't have a fancy subscription-based business that caters to podcast listeners so that they don't have to deal with the outside world and their whole life just gets shipped to them in a box, uh, and, and you just happen to be a private citizen who wants everybody to know about your your whatever, if you've got a deviant art page that you really want people to visit, I guess we'll we'll talk about that. We'll even go look at it so that we can make an informed ad copy on it heck yeah uh i might not stay for long because it's deviant art and that art is deviant hey in I most cases <laughs> uh, i mean that's the thing is it's the old the old thing of a uh, 90 percent of anything is crap and there's i i love <laughs> thanks that yogi was, Berra. yeah the that wasn't yogi Berra. that's uh, i forget someone's principle it's someone's principles 90 percent of anything is crap someone's like hey why does 90 percent? why is uh, it seems like so much of uh maybe sci-fi is crap it's like 90 percent of anything is crap and it was like, oh, and which is holds true that that the only the best things we see are the things that have risen to the top of the crap heap, I guess. What an ad. What an ad. <laughs> that could be you. You could be the top. Of... 90% of everything is crap. <laughs> but this product is actually part of that 10%. Hey, so... that's a fair. Like, that's pretty good. If this is your 10%, uh, your product's the best. 90% of ads are garbage, but those 10%, actually, no. <laughs> Well, there's a there are a couple of regular podcast uh, products that totally work for me uh, as a, as a consumer. I am actually a Harry's Razors customer now, pretty much, huh. pretty much permanently because turns out they are actually pretty damn good. So Harry's, if you want the two of us to hawk your wares, I'm there, dude. I I can 100% talk about the. The aftershave lotion that totally works on my... I've, I've got bad skin, y'all. You, you have no clue. Chris can vouch. I've got, like, the worst complexion of all time. But 
it's it's getting like baby smooth thanks to these razors and and this uh, lotion, and that's just because I I need I need to shave more with it. Harry's razors for all your uh, unsolicited razor needs. There you go. Ad space complete. Just just perfection. Mwah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Harry's razor slash media sandwich. That could be it. You could get. Oh, yeah. you, you could get a discount there or Dollar Shave Club. Hey. If you hey. want to get us, if you want to get us to stop talking about Harry's, now, right now there. I know what you, now you listeners, I know what you're thinking. Hey, now, isn't the Dollar Shave Club and Harry's the exact same thing? You're wrong. It's not. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. they're very, very similar. And uh, if if there was suddenly like a JFK s conspiracy theory uh, story about how the razors from both competing companies both come from that same fabled German razor factory. I would I would totally watch that conspiracy show. That was that was a super specific reference to a whole bunch of crap. So to conclude this segment, uh, Harry's and Dollar Shave Club, um, they shot JFK. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, jet fuel can't melt those German engineered razors. They can't, and that's why Blue Apron. Uh, for all of your <laughs> cooking needs, is where you go. Go blueapron.com slash media sandwich oh man we've we've layered too much on top of that already all right that ad space uh is done let's move on to the next segment late to the party this is the segment where kyle and i discuss pop culture things that everyone else has already eaten and uh you you had something specific that you got in with your with with your good lady wife correct (laughs) my good lady wife yes uh we started watching black mirror on netflix because i have heard my coworkers talking about it a lot i of course heard about it a lot on the twitter the twitter man all right reverse that i hated saying that i i'm tired (laughs) of that phrase i heard it on twitter on twitter.com no, That's, no, not don't say twitter.com. I'm ta- I'm taking this so far back that it's lamer in a different way. I heard it on twitter.com. A lot of folks were discussing <laughs> this in Twitter uh postings. Oh man, it's like you might as well just go back and say like on myspace.com. Oh man. There we Did go. Did anybody ever actually say myspace.com? I don't know. There there are people <laughs> listening, I'm sure we've probably got at least one kid Who's like, what the hell is MySpace.com? It's fine. That's uh, the world it, marches on. And and rightfully so, because mm-hmm. I say. So as I was saying, uh, Black Mirror is the show on Netflix right now. It's in its third season, and it's it's strange to see these seasons because the first season is three episodes, second season is four episodes, third season is six episodes. A British show, correct? Yes, it is definitely uh, UK-based, which I didn't realize until after the first couple episodes. It was very apparent, like, oh, this is very British. Or at least, not. it sounds weird to say it's very British. It's not like, oh, wacky zany. It's like, oh, they're using a lot of British actors. And one thing that I love about British shows that the U.S. side does not do, British actors are allowed to look like normal people. Yeah. And yeah. it's so much better in many ways to see real-looking people. And it sounds weird because it's like, oh, what does that mean? Are they ugly and fat? Like, well, no, they just don't look perfect. And in the way, it's it's almost so... as if almost as if they're hired based on their acting ability instead yeah. of 
the way they look. And definitely this is, I've seen some stellar performances from actors. And some actors that I look and go, oh, I know you. Like I just, there was, uh, I think the second episode actually is, um, has the, uh, the actor who is the lead in Get Out. Oh, you know, I haven't seen Get Out yet. Mm, that's a definitely a good one. That is definitely a good one to see. That's, yeah. And uh, the actor in it is great in that movie, and he's. I think this was even better to see him, because I didn't realize in Get Out, this is how good of an actor he is, he does not give away that he's British. Clearly very British. Because in this show, his accent is heavy. Heavy, heavy, obvious British accent. And that's I, I've got a lot of hang-ups about uh, Americans who can't pull off a British accent, and... Uh, and... You know, U- UK actors who can't pull off an American accent to save their life. <clears throat> Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> I, I I actually like Charlie Hunnam, but I like him better when he's allowed to be British. Mm-hmm. I, I feel the same way about, about Colin Farrell. Whenever he gets to use his Irish accent, it's always a good time. Whenever he has to maintain an American accent, he sounds like an idiot. It's I love finding out which actors are one or the other. Like, of course, you go through watching House, and until you start seeing the bonus features, you're like, "Wait a minute, Hugh Laurie is like Lord British," because he's <laughs> Lord British. He's like, what? And he totally is. Like, he's totally like capital B British, and it's. Oh yeah, I I knew that because of the old uh, you know Fry Laurie. Yeah. Bits. And of course, but... I after watching of House, I went back and started watching some of his older stuff, but I didn't realize because his american accent in house is flawless yeah well he he's he's got kind of the uh he does kind of a batman voice when he's being american damian lewis does the same thing where it kind of goes low and gravelly and Mm -hmm. you know it works it it does just fine uh i charlie hunnam is the one is the best example of sometimes a british actor will try to do an American accent by just going as California as they can. <laughs> and he is very, he's pulling such a surfer, a surfer dude, a, a moondoggy voice that it's yep. weird. But I'm not going to grouse too much because he's a better actor than I am. <laughs> say what you will about Charlie Hunnam. Hell, say what you will about Hayden Christensen. Say what you will about, oh, here's a good one, Finn Jones. Finn Jones. Who's Finn Jones? Uh, that's uh, Danny Rand, the Iron Fist. Hmm. He is. Uh, he's also a UK actor. I believe he's British, but I'm not sure. He. Uh, I thought I heard somewhere that he was Welsh, but I believe that's. I believe that's false. That's bollocks. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> to keep this in we've, line. We've lost all UK listeners who are just like, shut up, you stupid Yanks. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Finn Shut Jones. Gobs. Finn Jones is is playing an American from from like the heart of Manhattan as Iron Fist, and I don't know where the hell in America that accent is supposed to be from, but it's not New York. Hmm. Uh, I'll take his accent. I'll even take the the kind of dodgy fight choreography from Iron Fist because I believe Finn Jones is the victim of. Hayden Christensen syndrome where he's blamed for uh, bad direction. Mm-hmm. But anyways, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Tangent acquired. Delicious. Tangent acquired. Side dish added. Small small tangent of French fries there. You see, oh, I was thinking is kind of kind of like a good dipping sauce. Well, good dipping sauce. Okay, well um um that that'll work. Uh let's let's do like a like some malt vinegar. 
Oh, I'm liking it. Since we're already discussing uh, British sensibilities now, as if we know. Yeah, as if we're authorities at all, which we are not on that particular subject. Yes, uh, but Black Mirror, uh, this is, I'm not, like, I haven't watched, uh, like, The Twilight Zone. Like, I've dabbled here and there, of course, just, like, by by virtue of existing in this world. I've seen bits and pieces of Twilight Zone, and, of course, I've interacted with the tropes of the episodes as they've oh, seen. Oh, I've, I've shown you all of my favorite of the classic ones. Okay, uh, yeah, so that's... I time Enough that's... at Last, mm-hmm. uh, Terror at 30,000 Feet, uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. I know I've shown you all of those. Yeah, um, Black Mirror is in the same vein of, you know, here is a snapshot episode. Every episode has different actors, and every episode is in a different world-ish. Uh, and there's, I, I feel like there's a definite possible timeline that the episodes could land in in a world because they kind of take place in the sliding scale of like here's kind of where technology is hitting a lot of them uh use this um stuff like eye implants or like a lens and there's like one where you can rewind memories there's another where you can rate people and that has effects um another that just like does other things like there's a lot that goes into um just the visual things. And that's like been three different episodes of tied in with this. This is very similar technology. So I wonder if it all takes place in a shared world. Not that that's important because each story, the only connection that the stories have is obviously technology. And I love this. And my wife and I were remarking on this, that it's really refreshing to see pop culture take current technology very seriously and see the applications as it exists and see like social media and how social media take to an extreme does this because there's, the, the weirdest thing is you watch a lot of pop culture and they almost willfully ignore cell phones and social media and just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And in the further back you go, the harder it is to sustain your disbelief, because there's definitely like in the early 2000s when this stuff is really hitting, they are like TV writers were still stuck in the 90s. So like Friends, for example, like you look at Friends you're like this doesn't make any damn sense. Um, yeah it's and, and this is a show that wouldn't work now because we have smartphones and every single problem is a result of you not knowing what's going on but you would be able to look back at your conversations like oh i'm sorry it was a misunderstanding because my smartphone did blank yeah and i i think even oh boy i'm testing my memory but i believe it was a how i met your mother where like the only way for him to not know that his blind date is like famous and rich and a genius is if they agree beforehand to not Google each other. Mm-hmm. And that's like the conceit of the episode is we're not going to do that thing that everyone does now on a blind date, which is instantly do a giant background search on their date yeah. because we can do that now at the table while talking to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see this show takes technology very seriously. And some of the episodes take place in a very current time. Some takes place in a very far-flung future time. But it all feels very real and believable. And I don't want to get into spoilers for the episodes. Because if you've had the episodes spoiled, it's kind of a bummer. Because each of them have a little twist, usually. Um, Right, kind of like the Twilight Zone. Exactly. And so by the end of the episode, there's a little play on either a a new truth is revealed or you don't realize that the person you've been rooting for is actually not the person you should have been rooting for. Or like it just puts everything you knew into question. And ultimately, it's supposed to make you think about technology in a more 
nuanced way, I suppose, or a more like interactive way. Ironically, like you don't interact with technology. I mean, you interact with it, obviously, but you don't engage with it, I suppose is the correct, correct way to say that. So making you engage and look at your phone and look at your the internet and your social media and stuff and go, hey, would it be great if I had memory of everything in my life? Does, does that is that good? Oh, I can definitively answer that. Having not seen Black Mirror at all and not knowing precisely what you're talking about, no, I don't want to remember everything at like not even close. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's always fun to see a show or a movie or read something where uh, it forces a little bit of introspection. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can give a favorite episode yet for any Black Mirror fans out there who are going, oh yeah, I love I, I love Black Mirror, it's my favorite show. Is that stupid British accent supposed to be anyone specific? No. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> it's just it's someone who may be listening and going, oh boy, I, I love Black Mirror, I find it, find it quite tasteful and, and, and evocative. Of uh, the current current social uh, ethos, I'm... I didn't mean to impugn your your accent there. I just I, I think that was from forgetting <laughs> Sarah Marshall, where Jonah Hill starts saying, "Oi, I remember that guy. He was my waiter." And Russell Brand says, "Is that stupid British accent supposed to be me?" Mm. So ah. that was my thing. What's your current thing that you are engaged with? Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, that was a goof. Uh, this is the end of the goof. Goof concluded. But uh, no, I actually, uh, in in spirit of spreading out the media to uh, different platforms, because we've talked a lot about TV already in just these first two episodes. Of course. Uh, I I read a book. I read one of the one of the paper things with words in it and 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 all sorts of shit. I've heard about those. Mostly, I listen to those on CDs. Yeah, yeah. Most most people, I think, audiobooks uh, reign supreme now, thanks to Audible, which uh, I know we're out of the ad space, but I'll do an Audible ad too if you if you really twist my arm. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I actually this what I did do an audiobook and then I did a paper book so I can talk about one or both of them but uh Carrie Fisher's Postcards from the Edge was the book that I selected to uh just kind of do in my spare time at work and everybody kind of dove into uh her past work when she passed away recently mm-hmm. and I didn't get a chance to Go go through her writing when she was alive. Unfortunately, I did read Wishful Drinking, <laughs> and uh, there was one in between that and the latest one just before she passed, which was uh, the Princess Diarist. Right. I I somehow can't pronounce that word correctly, but uh, Postcards from the Edge was the her first book, and it's like semi autobiographical. It's also really short, or at least it felt like that to me. It's uh, kind of more novella-sized and just starts with her being uh, in rehab after an overdose, mm-hmm. which which that did happen to Carrie Fisher. And, and it just kind of takes a fictionalized version of her through her first maybe year or so of recovery, going from the absolute just human dumpster fire that is 
like I think the first line of the book is her saying, I wonder if I should have given my number to the guy who pumped my stomach. <laughs> like it goes from that and then builds to a basis of like there's a whole section on her just being in a depressive state and not getting out of bed for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, it all it sounds really depressing. But those of you who haven't read it or seen the movie version with Meryl Streep as the character, it's really, really funny. It's it's that trademark Carrie Fisher funny where it was really biting and acerbic and and yet it was still kind of it had this this playful like puckish you know charm to it where she loved puns she was very quick with a pun mm-hmm. and she she just she was very self-deprecating but never to a point where she was giving up her own dignity yeah it also is just a very hilarious view of the of the movie industry because there's a whole section where she works on a movie and she is getting a, a big note about her performance that she's not having enough fun with mm-hmm. the performance. And she hears this from an assistant director, from her agent, from her manager, never from the director <laughs> who you would think that, I mean, that's the director's job. Mm-hmm. And she kind of gets into a panic because she's like, everybody's telling me that I'm not doing things right, except for the one person whose job it is to tell me to do things differently. Yeah. I found that hilarious because I feel like that has to happen. Like that, that must be coming from a place of truth because that sounds like Hollywood. Like we're all, we're all having so much fun and we're all so nice to each other and we all just want to get along and have fun and, by the way, you really need to say that word differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's an incredibly funny book, and I I need to seek out the movie now, and and seek out some of her other work because she she did a lot of great memoirs, and I think she even did some sequels to Postcards from the Edge, which really? yeah, uh, I think she catches up with her character like at least a decade down the line because she wrote that one early on. I believe she wrote that one in the eighties. So, like, right, I think post-Star Wars trilogy, but uh, pre, you know, the whole decade where she seemed, where Carrie Fisher, I swear to God, wrote the entire 1990s in film. Because <laughs> she did, she did uncredited passes on the, on the scripts for, I, I had a list going about the time she passed away. I just, I looked at her resume and went, holy crap, she wrote like every single big inspiring movie, especially a lot of good '90s comedies, like really smart uh, comedies, she took a pass at it, and and that was how she made her living during the '90s. She wasn't really doing any acting, so yeah, she was putting her her awesome writing chops to use. So I really enjoyed the hell out of that book, and. To counterbalance that, that that was the actually the audio book. So I got to listen to Carrie Fisher read that out loud, which oh, was perfect. Nice. I love that's one reason I love audiobooks is when you can get the actual authors or someone who embodies what the author meant to say. Yeah, I would definitely take a professional actor over Stephen King because hmm. it's really hard to listen to Stephen King read like some of the say say some of the graphically sexual scenes that he likes to put in his books <laughs> in that reedy main accent mm-hmm. um but but Carrie Fisher it's almost a must to hear her read her book because 
she's nailing the comedic timing. She's, you know, all, all of the really deeply sarcastic lines. She's laying it on nice and thick. It's, it's great. Nice. But uh, the other book that I'm reading is a little bit less fun and a little bit more, I, I mean, it's still fun for me in kind of a macabre way. Mm-hmm. It's uh, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. And it. it's uh, it's kind of two books in one because it's about the uh, 1893 Chicago World's Fair mm-hmm. and how it came to be, how, you know, the, the whole process of being built and because it was like one of the biggest spectacles of all time. It, the, the whole goal being to outdo the Paris World Fair where the Eiffel Tower was unveiled. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it follows the head architects and all of their struggles to get it done in time because they had almost no time at all to essentially build a tiny city in the middle of a big city. Mm-hmm. And so that's all really interesting from a history perspective and an architect's perspective, engineering stuff. It goes through all of that and goes through it pretty pretty engaging even for a layman because I don't know anything about about engineering or architecture, but, but it's, it's fun. And then the other half of the book is about, uh, one of the, one of the first big publicized serial killers in the United States, uh, whose name was H H Holmes. And, you know, coincidentally, he used the Chicago world's fair as kind of a hunting ground while it was in effect. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the book kind of jumps between, Oh, the the head architect Burnham is having trouble, you know, getting this building done in time, or he's, you know, run out of funds, or somebody's trying to sabotage this. And then you cut over to while this was happening, Holmes was just getting started uh, building a large stack of bodies in his basement. And once the fair gets kicked off, he's it's just going to be open season. It's nuts. It's it's a damn good book, and it moves way faster than you would think a story about 1891 to 93 would. Yeah. But it's kind of fun because it juxtaposes these two really intelligent guys who, you know, they had the whole world on a platter and in very different ways. Hmm. I have finally, like recently I encountered an HP Lovecraft book for the first time. Uh, Cause when I took my trip up to PAX, I was driving up. And I said, hey, this is the perfect chance to finally listen to a book on tape. Well, we I'm so stuck in calling it a book on tapes. Obviously, it's a book on CD, which other people just say, you mean an audiobook? I'm like, yeah, but yeah, I, don't, I don't have You still listen to them on actual CDs. That's, that's even saying something. Yeah, because I have a CD player in my car. And so I look through kind of vaguely. I'm like, oh, do I want to try to read, like, listen to a Game of Thrones? I'm like, oh, it's 20 hours for part one of one of the books. I'm like, no. No, no, no. No, thank you. So, scrapped that idea, and then I saw, hey, H.P. Lovecraft. I would love to read the first, like, his first book, but they didn't have that. They ended up having one uh, called, I think it was Dreams, uh, or Stories of Dreams and Death, something like that, by uh, basically the complete dream cycle um, in his his stories of the complete, the complete, like, dream cycle stories, which, of course, I'm going in H.P. Lovecraft blind. I so had, you you never had any experience at all with it? No, no firsthand experience. I have heard 
obviously a lot about the Eldritch Horror stuff, and I'm familiar with Cthulhu and the Cthulhu myth, at least in that I get that a lot of Cthulhu is not about, hey, big damn scary monster. It's about the idea that you go mad when you understand Cthulhu because it's so horrifying that you can't grasp it. And that's what's scary is that it's an ungraspable thing that changes your world entirely. And that's interesting. With the dream cycle, oh boy, I got why he's such a good author, but I have two huge holdups. And I didn't actually finish it because I, I ran out of time because it was, I think, 18 discs something like that maybe six no, that's that's a lot maybe it was 16 discs or 18 discs it didn't matter because after it came up from pax i mean it was four hours up four hours back and like an hour a day going to and from uh seattle but coming back my day-to-day commute is like 15 total minutes like in the day like on in my car so slowed down my progress a lot and i didn't finish it but because it was short stories, I also didn't feel compelled to finish because there wasn't a cohesive, like, there's not a story that's egging me on. It's like, oh, I'm at this end of the short story. Well, don't have to keep going there. The two holdups I have. The first is that this whole book, who I, this is one big reason I don't like sci-fi or fantasy is dumping me with terms and names of things. And oh yeah the, the world building oh man i mean after uh four or five discs i finally was recognizing you know specific character names and specific worlds and going oh yeah like you keep mentioning hothic claw and i like that a lot or oh you're talking about um uh, lomar and i know where that is now and and like really starting to get like oh knowing this the important parts of this um and so like it just took so long to get into that and then the other half is that wow lovecraft is pretty racist <laughs> and yeah, well yeah yeah which i'm like yeah product of the time but at the same time i'm just like oh i can't listen to another white man talk about the black men in this story just i don't care what time period it is i'm tired of it i can't do it so after a while i'm like okay i recognize lovecraft is great I, i'd love to listen to the, i think it's a necronomicon is his first like that's the cthulhu myth that you get but boy i i had enough of that and i was like ah, i'm gonna switch to a different cd and i started listening to uh red wall not well not red wall but a book from the red wall series and i'm like yay i finally interacted with red wall again love red wall do i know red wall i don't or... know have you ever read any of the red wall series by brian jakes no i don't think so i think this is a oh. blind spot for me this is, uh, I can go into Redwall way too much because I read a lot of it. It's in the shortened version, Redwall. The first book of Redwall takes place at the, Red, at place at the Redwall Abbey. It's all um, animals who, it's like mice and moles and rabbits and badgers and hedgehogs. And, and the good, the bad ones are, of course, rats and stoats and, and voles. I think voles are the bad ones. doesn't matter. Rats and stoats are bad. Foxes are bad. They're, like the obvious animals. It's pretty... It's kind of funny that it's almost like racist, but without it's animal racism, I guess. Oh, so it's it's like the literary Zootopia. Kind of, and I love. I mean, the first Redwall is great because you follow Matthias, who's a little mouse who eventually becomes the warrior of, of Redwall. And Redwall, the Abbey, is a place of peace. But then Clooney the Scourge shows up with his band of evil, you know, weasels and stoats and rats and stuff, and they try to take it over because they're evil. That's what they do. And Matthias 
finds Martin the Warrior's sword and shield and and defends the Abbey and it's uh it's it's like every Redwall story is a super slow burn because Brian Jakes sets the characters and he the, it's like always broken into three parts book one two and three and book one of this story is always the peace and then the middle act is always then everything goes down and the final act is and then we resolve it and it's boy yeah it's slow burn but one thing he does better than anyone else is feasts oh my gosh like go to the feast chapters if you just need to because basically he just is like hey we're in the peace chapters and of course there's always a feast during the peace chapters and the feast is just let's talk about all the different ales that they create and all the pies they baked and all the other goods they baked and fried and and just oh okay so let me retract the zootopia comparison so we're talking more it's like game of thrones by way of watership down uh kind of in many ways i i absolutely love it i mean like elementary school i made a i found a way after i first read Redwall to use a Redwall story for every single book report i had to do because <laughs> I don't know how many books are in the Redwall series. There's a ton. And I don't know if they continued them after Brian Jakes passed. I mean, I think there was at least two dozen before he passed. And they they take place over the course of... It's always... Um, it's very few of them have like a direct continuation with the same characters. A lot of times it's having to rebuild for new time period or, you know, new generation type thing. So I the first one is Redwall with certain characters. Then there's... The uh, next one is Moss Flower, which takes place prior to Redwall, like a certain time period before and that's like martin the warrior coming to the to moss flower woods and then the third book is called madame Ayo, which is what i have on uh, my cd right now and that's a direct sequel to Redwall, with the next generation of like matthias's child and all that stuff but i remember reading half of it as a kid and didn't finish it for some reason so now i'm excited to actually finish it and it's brian jake's reading and narrating and it's got a full cast of people and oh they're all doing the voices it's just so it's delightful that sounds like a lot of fun it is a lot of fun all right, that segment's done. We are all done with the late to the party. That was a nice little garnish in there. Oh, it was nice. It's uh, it's got great texture. It's like a good uh, little like sautéed mushrooms. Oh, I think in our panini. Yes, sir. I'm liking this sandwich. Mm-hmm. And now we're gonna move into some real world woes. And I just well, that, want... that was an inevitable turn. <laughs> it was an inevitable turn. Uh, possibly the next bit in our sandwich has turned. It's a little sour. It's not quite as fresh. But we don't usually talk about. Well, actually, we don't usually. <laughs> the last episode we talked about it, and we're going to make this regular. We're talking about something that happened in the real world. Real world. I don't really want to talk about anything political because ugh, and I don't want to talk anything about controversial because also ugh. I do, however, want to tell a story about the Max. Because uh, this is a great story that just happened. It must be told, discussed with somebody. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know what the MAX is, Portland's light rail system, uh, which is garbage, is called the MAX. Well, okay, hold, pull, pull it okay, back. Okay, I know, this is not fair. It's, uh, it's just rated the worst public transportation system in the United States. Uh, that doesn't mean it's garbage, it just means it's the worst uh, wh- okay, where where <laughs> where have you seen that, that it was rated the worst? Because I'm here to tell you, I've been in a few subway systems. I've been in a few elevated train situations. I've I've been on quite a few buses, public buses, and I'm here to tell you the max. In terms of train systems, they have to be the cleanest trains I've ever been on. Well, they're not. 
I mean, I don't have a lot to compare in that I have nothing to compare it to. I've only dealt with the Max, and it's one of those weird things where Portland was not built for this light rail system, and this light rail system was not built to expand with Portland as it has. So the Max line started going from, and this is anyone who lives around Portland, they'll be like, I know these locations, I understand this. Uh, Portland, when it, as we've mentioned I think last time, when you say you're from Portland, you could be from anywhere within like an hour radius around Portland. We yeah, grew, for yeah. the most part. So if you go east of Portland, you're going to get to Gresham. If you go west of Portland, you're going to get to Tigard, Beaverton, Hillsborough, Forest Grove. The Max line started, the blue line went from Hillsborough to Gresham, this long strip. And then it that was went just, through the downtown area. Yeah, snaked through downtown and hit some key places specifically going through Pioneer Courthouse Square and I think Lloyd Center were some of the big ones. On the the Rose Quarter and... That's right, Rose Quarter. Uh, that's a big one. Yep. Uh, crosses the river right after Chinatown, I believe. Mm-hmm. So there were some major stops along this, The and initially it was just called the Max. Then they added a new line, the Red Line, therefore the original became the Blue Line. Red Line could take you... Pretty much you could hop on a red train that was still a blue train, but at a certain point it turned into a red train that went towards the airport. So now you could go all the way from Hillsborough to the airport, which was convenient. Which was still nice. is. It's it's there's no good way of getting through Portland to the airport by car. Right. Uh and and then there's no place to park when you get there. So the Max is definitely the preferred way to get to the airport. Yeah. Now they've also added the green yellow and orange line and the green yellow like green line has a definite spot where it goes to an orange line has a different place where it goes to and i don't know why they have a yellow line train at all because it basically is just a section of the orange and green line but not well, the do, whole thing doesn't it go to the expo center um i think actually the orange line because the orange line snakes all the way to milwaukee and i take the orange line now so that one goes up around and if you take the orange line just to keep on it it turns in the green line and goes turns it right back around on itself actually if that's not true i take that back again because yeah again green orange and yellow line get confusing this is the only part of the max that can get really confusing for people um who aren't paying attention and which if is... those of you listening who have fallen asleep just to wake you up and give you something to connect this to chris mentioned that he's on the orange line coming from milwaukee uh, to give you some perspective, Milwaukee is where Dark Horse Comics is headquartered. I'm five so. minutes away from Dark Horse Comics. I I go to Milwaukee all the time. It's actually like most of downtown Milwaukee is owned by Dark Horse. They own like the land, and they just rent yeah. it out. And yeah, you, go, you can go to Things for Another World, like the the mother base. The mother base. Yeah, is the, not the main a Things term. from Another World store. Uh, there's one out in Beaverton, but Dark Horse owns. A series of comic book stores which are my preferred comic book stores in the area because well for a while they were the only ones i think they still really pretty much are i mean there's there's some great mom and pop places in downtown but yeah dark horse uh is located primarily in milwaukee where uh the area where chris is coming from in order to get to downtown mm -hmm. portland now, I work in the Pearl District of the Portland area, and that would be northwest Portland. Yeah. Yes, northwest. Portland is broken into five quadrants, as I've heard. Uh, five quadrants? 
yeah, I've heard like someone describes to me that there's Southeast Portland, Southwest Portland, Northwest Portland, Northeast Portland, and then North Portland. I don't know where the division is for each of these. He mentioned it and I just wasn't paying attention because he was talking to someone else and I didn't care. And he didn't talk about if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. If I had said that, I paid attention more. But I heard that it was broken into five quadrants and that's the quadrants. I'm in Northwest Portland for the Pearl District. The Pearl District is like the, I think I mentioned, I, I'm going to keep saying this. I think I mentioned Pearl District is Portlandia. If you watch Portlandia, that's the Pearl District. Most of what they say and do there is quintessentially the Pearl District of Portland hoitiest of toitiest of hipsterist you get off the max train on the orange line which i take from milwaukee to union station doors to my left and union station is the bus station and the train station and it's where and uh if anybody's ever read the uh the greg rucka comics uh called Stumptown. Mm mm-hmm a lot of a lot of big Portland locations are depicted because it's a detective story that takes place in Portland. It's also just I I really enjoy those. They're they're great comics, and I believe that the lead character lives really close to Union Station, but I might I might be getting that wrong. I, it's been a while since I've read them. And you take you start well. I have to start there and walk into the Pearl District proper, past the post office. I'm coming home from work. This is Friday. Okay. And um, I'm coming home a little later than my normal time. And the Max, this is a, um, I think is like a second generation Max train. So you have raised platforms on either side of this of this train. Like you can take a steps up, go in, and there's a handful of seats up there. In the middle of the section, like the very middle of the train, is this, you know, the accordion style spot. So it's, those are all, those spots are lined up facing each other. And then you have some uh, other seats along the side, like next to some doors, two seats facing backwards, one to the side, uh, where you can also put a wheelchair and stuff. There is an... I'm going to start naming characters now. The main the main character of the story is Old Drunk Black Man. Uh, he is an old, drunk black man who is so far drunk, and it's uncomfortable. Uh, he is dressed as the usual type of homeless that you would see in Portland. Uh, and it's like, you oh, you see the homeless on the max all the time, which makes sense. It's a warm, dry place. Um, and that's fine. I encourage people to find a warm, dry place to sleep, especially in Oregon. And thankfully, we have rain again. Yes! We needed it so desperately. We did need it for that for that uh, forest fire, and did, also and... just for my sanity's sake, mm-hmm. I actually kind of needed the rain. And already in this week that it's, we've had rain and stuff, uh, they were able to contain a lot of the forest, which is great. Uh, so back to the story, old um, old drunk black man. He is this guy is stumbly, stir, like slurry. He's doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Can't can't say a sentence out in clear clear English, and it's. I usually, when I get on the max, I sit up in the loft area and I put my headphones on and on my way home and I just kind of fall asleep or like kind of doze. Well, I start to put my headphones on, listen to my music, and I can hear him, like old drunk black man, talking to the second player in the story, which I'm going to call Jersey Shore, uh, Jersey Shore Kid. I, That's I, a timely I, reference. Yes. Uh, so this is the type of kid who, um, I'm going to say kid, he's probably in his mid-20s. I couldn't place it exactly. He is posturing constantly the type of person who thinks they're a hero and is really making the situation worse from what i pieced together before i really took off my headphones and started paying attention to the story um the kid the 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 
old drunk black man came up to Jersey Shore teenager or Jersey Shore kid and asked for money. The kid didn't have any. The guy got belligerent with him and the kid started yelling at him. And so this kid is now like talking loudly to the entire train at this guy. Like, no, man, I don't have any money for you. And I was really being nice to you and all that. But I don't think you want to be nice. I think you need to. I come down from the platform and I'm now standing kind of in between where the platforms go up and the made the rest of the situation. Partly because I want to see what's going on. Partly because I want to be like in a position where I can react and help people if necessary. Because I don't know what's going to happen here. And I mean, part of my mind is like, is this going to be a situation like we had a couple months back with the, you know, the white supremacist type of guy who slashed people's throats and it's not good. But I'm like, I want to be in a situation where I can help if that starts to happen. I do that all the time on the train. That's just what I'd like to do. So at least I want to put myself in a position where I can block continue of this thing up to the other people in the loft anyway so the two players now old black man old drunk black man is arguing with jersey shore kid jersey shore kid keeps doing the thing that just this type of age and attitude of like they don't see that they're not helping the situation and the situation should have diffused but they continue to engage can, can we can we stop and meditate on the fact that you that you said the Jersey Shore kid is not helping the situation? Yeah, um, sorry, so... I just needed to interject <laughs> that there, just for levity's sake. So the and it gets to a point where old drunk black man is clearly kind of stopping talking to this kid, and the guy's like, "Yeah, I mean, all right, I'm just trying to have a good time, like coming home from work, like so. All right, how was your? How are you, by the way, man? How are you? And it's like, oh, now you're now you're just like. Why are you trying to be nice now? You're you've already shown you don't want to be nice. This guy is not understanding a word anyone is saying. He is so far incoherent. Um, and the guy's like, "Oh, you know, I'm just trying to be nice." Like, I mean, if you go get you, and he's like, oh, "I'm just trying to be nice to you." And like back and forth. And it's like, okay, this is bad. We're about to enter the third player into this story. I'm going to name her angry racist woman because because oh. old drunk black man starts to continue along his path around the train he comes back to he has a one he said home position in a seat right in front of where i'm standing um he's got his backpack there and he'll slump over there and then he'll kind of get up and he'll start moving around he'll grab things because he a the train is moving and the max trains are not a great train to move around on and b he's so drunk that he's if the train was stationary he'd still have trouble moving around he's adding both of these things so he's coming around, He's and he goes to the end of the train and goes up to angry racist woman. And I don't know what he does to her because with some people, he's trying to, like, get them to interact with him, like, asking for money. And then he'll start doing, like, a hand gesture with him, like a handshake type hand, like, pound it, pound it, bat, 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 these things. And some people are engaging and some people aren't. Gets up to angry racist woman, and I don't know how what happens because I was kind of painting. It was really far away, but she just loses it to this guy. And she's like, don't you effing touch me, you effing N-word. And everyone in the train just goes, and, and you know, to his credit, you know, Jersey Shore Kid speaks up and everyone else just goes, whoa, no, no. And this is kind of like all the people on the train immediately go, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't, no. Like, we're like immediately like, there's no heroes in this story. No one is going to get out of this unscathed. Except for me, I'm the only person who's the hero in the story. And I'll... <laughs> Because I didn't, How gracious of because you. I didn't engage directly in it. I just witnessed it. I am, I am a watcher in this. Really, um, who is who's the watcher? Is it Ubuntu? What's his name in the Marvel <laughs> universe? Uh, sure. 
I no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the Watcher enough. <laughs> I think maybe Ubuntu. I think maybe a Linux program. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it might be. Yeah, maybe both. Who knows? Anyway, um, so <laughs> angry racist woman. It's like don't you. Don't you ever touch me, you N-word. And everyone's, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the course, Jersey Shore Kid's like, hey, what? No, we don't need to say that, which gave me a little more respect for Jersey Shore Kid. So I'm like, hey, he understands. Like, there's a limit of things you don't say. Like, come on. And then she doubles down like, no, I, I, no, I'm just N-word. this N-word. And guys like, old, old drunk black man starts stumble back towards his seat towards me and people and she's still like yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course she doesn't seem like she's a problem but angry racist woman has angry racist boyfriend or spouse or someone next to him and i'm like that guy could be the real problem thankfully this player only has one line and it's basically to confirm yep angry racist woman here she's my gal and i also am an angry racist too um older mustachioed working class man uh, he comes on the train, sits down. Uh, unknowingly, he sits down next to home base of old drunk black man. Old drunk black man finally stumbles back into the train. And, of course, um, middle class mustachioed, uh, not middle, a working class mustachioed gentleman notices uh, the emotion. He says to me, he's like, oh, this is why I don't usually take public transportation. <laughs> and I'm like, yup, yup, yup. Uh, the only time someone directly talks to me in this situation. So this guy sits down. He doesn't realize that he's sitting next to the guy who's going to be the problem on the train. Guy stumbles back and sits down next to mustachioed working class man. Uh, mustachioed working class man seems like a very nice man, but he's going to have a breaking point, and it's going to happen in between two stops, basically, where old drunk black man is and he keeps pulling um a flask of i think bourbon like a bottle of bourbon out of his pocket an open bottle eventually he uh he kind of stumbles over to mustachioed working class man falls kind of half into his seat like half next to him rolling around kind of gets up in doing so his bottle falls out of his pocket and dumps completely all over the seat and then the bottle falls off the seat and rolls around on the ground so and then the old drunk black man stumbles back in his seat and like starts to like slump back. Mustachioed working class gentleman is like, "Hey, uh, you, you dropped your bottle? You dropped it?" And the guy, "Oh," picks it up, finishes the last couple drops, and then just drops it on the floor. And the guy then kind of kicks the bottle back. He's like, "Oh, hey, uh, you, uh, my, uh, well, hey, son, why don't you take that, uh, take that with you off the train when you get off the train?" And the guy's like, "What are you, you saying to me?" And it's like, I'm thinking, "Oh, is this gonna be it? Is this gonna be the one? Is this where it happens?" Um, and not yet. <sighs> Those paying attention, not yet. It's like, oh no, now we have conflict, like real conflict. Like now there's a problem. This guy, because this, you know, older mustachioed working class man, he, I can see his values. One of his values, don't you litter, which is a good one. Don't you litter in this in this max train? And he's and the guy's like, well, you know, messed you up, and he's like, son, I don't want to fight you because I would lay you out. Uh, and you can tell, like, this is that old kind of guy. You can, like, yeah, this guy probably has laid some folks out in his time because you just he's that kind of working class, like, older gentleman. You can tell. He's, he could do it. And the guy's, like, looking for a fight now. Like, now the old drunk black man is standing up looking for a fight. And this guy stands up and he moves to the side. He's like, all right, you want to take this fight? Next stop. Take it outside. Next stop. And it's like, oh, dang, this is getting kind of crazy. 
and eventually, you know, diffuses because old drunk black man falls on his back, woof, just in the middle of the aisle. And it's like, oh, crap. And he's like, oh, help me up. Help me up. Someone help me up. And everyone's like, nope, can't. You know, the guy, old Sash is like, I can't help you up. You, you, you know, you're, you're looking for fights now. I can't help you up. And, uh, of course, Jersey Shore kids yelling to the train, nobody help him. Nobody help him. He doesn't want to help. Nobody help him. I'm like, okay, this is really getting uncomfortable here. No, I'm, I'm saying, oh, this is getting uncomfortable now. <laughs> yeah, on, right. Um, it's uncomfortable. It's been uncomfortable. I'm really, like, me, I'm, I like to help people in general. I generally will help anybody regardless of situation. In this situation, I'm looking like nobody's right in this situation. I am ready to help this guy. If I need to step in and be like, hey, like, let's separate you from the others and just like hey man i can see that you're just really having a bad day clearly this because you're 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 way past drunk and your life is clearly not okay because you never get this just destroyed and in this situation unless your life is not good to begin with recognize that this guy's laying on his back he's like, help me up help me up can't get up and it's like okay he can't get up he's so drunk he can't get up and he's he's not well and i'm like well if i i wanted to help him but if i try to get to him i either have to pick him up from behind which i wouldn't do because i'm this guy is not in his right mind he's if someone comes up behind him and tries to grab him from behind he might flip out didn't want to do that didn't want to step over him to get to his front to pick him up because again stepping over this guy could flip out didn't want to do that thought maybe at the next stop i can run out of the train and in through the door and come to the front and pick him up but now I'm starting to make myself a problem to the other people if I do that because Jersey Shore kid, old mustachioed working class man and racist, angry racist woman don't want anyone to help this guy because they are hating him. So if I put myself on his side, then I can become part of the problem too. So I'm like, I, there's no nothing I can do. Thankfully at this point, half thankfully because it's going to get worse, the guy then gets himself to the seat, starts to pull himself up. In doing so, he angers the final character of our story new character um slightly less old but also working class bear and this he's like pushing against him as this guy's getting up and and pushes himself into the chair next a seat next to this older other guy who's clearly like not having any of this he's got his arm out trying to shove him away Finally, he's like, hey, get off me, get off me, you know, get off me. And the guy's drunk and finally sits to the, gets to the point he's standing up. And the guy gets up. He's like, that's it, you know, you mother ever. And he's like, and I'm like, oh, oh, here it goes. This is happening now. Like now that if we're officially all on our feet, everyone in the train is on their feet and ready for this. And it's like, this is happening. Something's happening. My stop is now. And I'm like, good. This is my stop. I can get off the train. Thankfully, I get off the train right there because it's like, you whatever, and the guy's, you know, looking for, oh, I'm going to mess you up. And it's like, no, I'm going to, like, touch you. And like, oh, oh, crap. Oh, crap. I get off the train just as Jersey Shore kid, mustachioed working class man, and let, not as old but still older working class bear, grab this guy and hurl him off the train right behind me, basically. Just out the train door. Whoosh. He's out. I, at that point, see someone else make contact with the conductor in the front. The conductor's already, like, nodding, like, uh-huh, I'm on the phone right now with police, as you can see. We're not moving. Like, this is happening. I'm now, like, taking a step, like, slowly stepping away from this. Like, okay, I need to distance myself because this is going to get worse before it gets better. And, of course, sure enough, the guy tries to get back on the train. Jersey Shore runs out, tackles him, and throws him to the ground again. They're all yelling at him. They finally, like, I see them take his backpack. Someone grabs his backpack, hurls it out the train door, 
lands in the opposite like um like train tracks at this point some other people then notice like some people go and they pick up they start picking up the guy's stuff and they the conductor closes the door so the guy can't get back in the train's not leaving everyone's in the train and at this point i don't know what's going on in the train because i think the people who think there were the good samaritans in the train by throwing this guy out now they're starting to argue amongst themselves in the train whether that was a good thing or a bad thing and i'm like oh my gosh this is just this is crazy and as i drive away like the train leaves that train finally leaves another train came and went the opposite direction that leaves i don't see what where did the guy get on the other train and just go back into portland did he leave where did he go and i finally as i'm driving away i see him um up against a rail on the way up like towards johnson creek where i take my road and there's three other guys with him and it's not clear if they're stabilizing him or if they're about to beat the crap out of him and I had to leave the story at that point because I didn't want to roll my window down, my stupid little veil. Hey, guys, are you helping this gentleman or are you about to beat him to death? Because if it was one answer, good, you're helping him, great job, see you later. And if it's, we're going to beat him to death, it's like, great job, see you later. It's like the same answer is going to have to come out of my mouth either way. Because I'm not going to be able to come out of my veil and be like, all right, you you guys, let's let's not let's not beat this drunk man to death. So that was a that's a real world story that happened on the Max Line. Good God! Yeah, and <laughs> the takeaways from this story, which are fascinating to me, again, there was no good person in this story. Um, I had my motives, of course, for getting off my seat up in the upper loft area and coming down to try to at least be not in the way, but be a possible deterrent from him moving past anyone else or being involved if I could help. If there was a situation that arose. Um, but again, you've got Jersey Shore Kid who's aggravating this guy. Uh, mustachioed working class man who's definitely not helping the situation after a certain point. Because he's hit his breaking point. <laughs> angry racist woman. Definitely not in the right. Because I don't care how angry you are. Like It sounded way too natural how quickly she started calling him the N-word. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. Not okay. And, like, as soon as everyone's hurling this guy off the train, and it's hard because I'm like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say here. Nothing is ever as cut and dry as people like to imagine it is, especially online, on Twitter. We keep seeing, you know, it's so refreshing to have a clear-cut villain and a clear-cut <laughs> good guy. And that's that's what we strive for, but in the real world, there's no clear, there's just, situations get messy, and people get messy, and it sucks to see that. I mean, yeah, to a degree, everything, especially what you mentioned Twitter, everything is becoming just a tad more toxic and a tad Mm -hmm. more, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, on our previous episode uh, that you you get on Facebook and it's just, you drink the poison. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, I I almost feel like the, the increasingly tense tone of, online culture is starting to make people in real life in meat space as the kids say no kids say that anymore (laughs) uh it's starting to embolden people to be a little bit more free flowing with their ideals and their their construct of what's acceptable to say and think and feel out in society Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be great like in the case of people who are willing to stand up for that against that kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. 
and at the same time, it's also emboldening the people who actually would would say that kind of stuff or or march, you know, march in support of it or I don't know, some some loser wear a swastika armband in Seattle will start just going about about town just shouting nonsense at people and it does also embold the the rare hero to come out of the mist and clock that guy in the face and and drop him like a sack of fertilizer <laughs> so oh yeah there's a lot of situations in here that you know i look at it is is this a story about racism i don't know is this a story about poverty i don't know is this a story about mob mentality i don't know is a story about you know liberals and conservatives like i definitely don't know because it really wasn't clear uh, I would like, I would argue that the answer is yes yeah. to to all of those. Yeah, and it's just like, and in some cases, like I don't even know if I was a hero in this. I mean, obviously not a hero, but like I don't know if I was in the right in this story from not interacting, or if I was in the right for putting myself close to the situation. Like I know me, I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to see this happen. I wanted to play it out. Like I I want to know. I want to be involved in some way without actually getting involved. And at the very least, I felt I did the right thing at the end of leaving the situation when it was my stop like this is my stop i gotta go i'm getting in my car i'm leaving at the very least i didn't i wasn't a looky-loo which is that's a big problem is looky-loos can be a big issue these days and well I felt and at least good that i did not ultimately succumb to the hey what you guys doing what's going on here <laughs> what's going on over here let's uh let's take a look here well and and you and it's also a case of you know required introspection to wonder what what gives what gives you the ability to be a rubbernecker in that situation versus yeah. somebody else who i mean you know, like it or not chris you're you're a white dude in portland in that situation uh-huh. you could be a rubbernecker and it it wouldn't be a potentially volatile situation for you necessarily no i blend i mean that's the thing is i blend into the crowd and it's I don't stand out because I, you know, I'm a white man with a beard on the max. Nobody's looking at me, and he, I'm, I'm just there because them all. I'm always there in essence in Portland, and so by three of the people in the story had were white men with beards, I believe. So it's like they're not going to notice me unless I specifically make myself noticed in this situation. Mm. Yeah, like I'm a literal fly on the wall, a bearded fly on the wall. I mean, would that be literal? Let's not get into that. <laughs> Let's not. But now that we got that that, that bit, we want to have something a little happier. Let's do an audience question or something that we something from the audience. You actually we got somebody on our was it a Facebook page? You said it was on the Facebook page. I I put out uh, just before we recorded our first episode. I said. Hey, Media Sandwich is back, and uh, we're going to dive into a new episode and any topics or questions or suggestions, because that's always been an element of whichever version of this show that we've done. We've always welcomed any topics or any any suggestions from from you guys who are listening. Yeah. Because ultimately, this is this is more your show than it is ours, in as much as. You're you're sitting here and and listening to the dude's story, as it were. You're you're the Walter and the Donnie, and Chris is just the dude. Yeah, and it's I love that it was also a great element of a no right answer. When we did that, and I think that was like some of our best episodes came from an audience either 
legitimately asking, like giving a suggestion or a question or an audience trying to troll us? Yeah, so uh, I put that out there, and the, this came in after we had recorded, but I, I did promise this person that uh, we would definitely tackle it for episode two, because also I just think it's a really good question, mm-hmm. because we've been gone for a while. We ended the uh, the escapist year of, of Media Sandwich in December of 2012, and uh, in response to that uh, prompt, our friend Landon Chun, uh, but Landon wanted to know what is uh, something that has kept our interest throughout the intervening years uh, in between the original version of Media Sandwich and now, now that we're relaunching, in terms of uh, pop culture and different media, uh, different media for consumption that we usually talk about. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that was something that you were big on, something that you were definitely more than a casual observer back in 2012 that's still holding up for you now? Well, I mean, there's the obvious things that um, I've always been into Smash Brothers, and although 2012 did not see the new Smash Brothers show up, I think that was 2013 when we actually got Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. It was, yeah. Um, that I mean, I, we I was still playing Smash Brothers consistently in 2012, uh, be it brawl or melee with people, especially in the office. Once I started working at Nintendo, uh, there was basically Smash O'Clock, is what we call it, and it's like up, oh, it's the last half an hour of the day, or you know, a little after like work has ended. Now it's like 6 p.m. exactly. Smash O'Clock is here. Let's go into the conference room where we have the TV and Smash Bros. hooked up, and let's play Smash Brothers. I was always pushing for Brawl because I liked going forward in time. I didn't like getting stuck in the past. And I have a very complicated history with Melee in which I love it to death. I played it to death. But I left it in the past when Brawl came out, and I shifted to Brawl and got super into Brawl. And I was never competitive. I'm good. I... I'm just shy of competitive. I don't know if I could really handle myself in a tournament because it's too much stress. But I love just the essence of Brawl and how it added a bunch of new characters, a bunch of new items, a bunch of new stages. And gimmicks, yes, but it was all about what's the wacky-ass fun you can have. So I played that a bunch. And then when the new Smash Bros. came out, continued on to the new Smash. And, of course, being in the treehouse at the time... I got to play the new Smash Brothers way before anyone else. We were playing whatever demo versions. First, we got to play the version that was built for E3 that was showing that off. So that only had, I don't know, like maybe 12 characters, something like that. I can't remember how many. They had like a a very limited roster of characters, but some of the big ones were in that and some of the new characters. So like got to get into Rosalina way before she was fully, um, like for anyone else, like got to really play and dig into her. And as new characters were added um, in different builds, like I was getting to play the new characters, and after they were announced, we could play with them. And that was kind of the rule in the house, is that you weren't supposed to know the characters unless you worked on the game. And so we could start adding that to the builds once the character was announced. So Little Mac was announced. Okay, we can play with Little Mac now. Oh, Robin was just announced, and Lucina was just announced. We can play with them now. Oh, okay, cool. Pac-Man was just announced. We can play with Pac-Man. Okay, cool. And so that was kind of fun, and I played. we played the treehouse constantly, and then after it came out proper... We, of course, started playing um, Smash even more. It was crazy. We had a couple different places in the treehouse we could play, either in the conference room or 
someone would like call us to the desk. Basically someone like you could see someone hold a GameCube controller up from someplace in the room and people would just basically come to it. Like it was the horn of Gondor and we, <laughs> we'd play smash brothers and at home in my home life, of course I had bought smash for 3ds first. Cause that came out a month before Wii U smash play the 3ds version, play the Wii U version. When it came out. I 100% beat both versions. All challenges completed. I have all trophies in those games. I have every thing in both of those games is done. And now I play at lunch with some coworkers. I've converted two coworkers into Smash Acolytes. And I'm so proud of them because they're winning games now. Like, I'm not going, I never go easy on them, as Kyle can attest. My, no, no, my, never. Yeah, my grouping of people, like, we never went easy on our friends who were newbies to the game. We're like, if you want to learn, you're going to learn. Yeah, I I always lost, and I was fine with that because I I I, I was not I was not ineffectual in a mm-hmm. game. So that's my thing. I can easily say like the thing that's held my attention is Smash Brothers constantly. Other than that, I mean, more recently, last year, I've gotten stupidly into jigsaw puzzles. I'm I have so many cool ones that I have recently. Like I get excited if I get a new jigsaw puzzle. I got one from Fred Meyer just this last week. It's the greatest jigsaw puzzle ever. It's a thousand pieces. It's a wizard and a dragon lazily playing chess, using magic to move the pieces. The the dragon is like, got you know, he's kind of resting his face in his hand. And he's like, man, moving. And the wizard's kind of leaning back. I think he's got a pipe. And he's just like, man, zap, moving a piece. And it's like, oh, this is max fantasy. I love it. It's like the, they're not fighting or anything. And they're using magic. But it's for the dorkiest thing just to play a match of chess that they clearly don't even care about who wins or loses. Ugh. So I can't wait to do this puzzle. It's so good. Well, that, that that's one thing that has delighted me over the last couple of years is Chris's uh, interest in puzzles, which it, he's got a prodigious collection. And I really hope that one day I can make it a reality to do like a live video of Chris just putting together a puzzle and and murmuring to himself the whole time. I could make a whole episode of this about puzzles, and we just might... But not today. Instead, Certainly I want not Kyle, today. Kyle, what is your, uh, what has held your attention these last couple of years? Uh, well, in terms of something that I keep going back to that I never, it never wanes in my mind, I would probably go with a TV show, which is uh, Deadwood. Oh, yeah. I, I keep coming back to Deadwood. I've probably done three or four run-throughs of that show since I first discovered it. And I discovered that show late. Mm-hmm. I... I remember catching part of an episode back when it was airing in about 2004 or five or so. Mm-hmm. And at the time it didn't impress me because I didn't quite understand what it was. It was, it seemed like a really weird show without context mm-hmm. because it, it just seemed like a show that's, Oh, it's a Western, but uh, the dialogue seems like something that's a, a disgusting cross between Shakespeare and the Sopranos because boy, they, they, they drop some very modern profanity in a show that's supposed to take place in the 1870s. Then I went to college and started reading books that weren't just based on like superheroes or novelizations of movies and, you know, Stephen King, Michael Crichton stuff that I read as an adolescent, which mm-hmm. which is all still great. I still love all that stuff. But I I actually got into Westerns. <laughs> I I became a really big uh, Western fan, uh, mostly through film. Mm-hmm. I 
I just devoured everything that uh, that John Huston ever directed. I uh, John Ford as well. I I just I devoured westerns uh, all the way from the American stuff from the fifties and sixties up through spaghetti westerns and I and then revisionist westerns like Unforgiven, which has become one of my favorites and. Then I started reading Westerns, which actually began when uh, my grandfather passed away in 2009. And one of the things I managed to snag was a couple of books from his bookshelf, one of which is a reprint of the Sears and Roebuck catalog from fall of the year 1900, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting to me because it's, you know, it's the full catalog with pictures and prices it's a great piece of reference if you want to write westerns like I do now. Mm-hmm. And then I grabbed a copy of uh, a Zane Gray novel, which was one of his favorites, which was Nevada by Zane Gray, and devoured that, then started getting into the Louis L'Amour stuff, you know, the kind of stuff that most grandfathers probably have on their shelves, mm-hmm. uh, which just solidifies me being an old man. Uh, before my time (laughs) but after all of that I then got into Deadwood I found it and said oh yeah that I gotta give that a try because then by then I realized oh Timothy Oliphant's in this oh man uh you know uh Gerald McRaney shows up in the later seasons I'm trying to think here Keith Carradine is in it uh I'm blank. I'm blanking on all of the actors in it. I mean, Ian McShane, of course, is the kind of the star of the show. Uh, it, it, you know, it's a who's who of fantastic character actors. Yeah. I'm like, well, now, now that I have a healthy appreciation for all of these people, and I, I have more of a healthy appreciation for westerns in general. Maybe I should take a look at this, and I plowed through all three seasons in such a little amount of time and i've gone through the show three or four times since and it just gets better every time because i keep catching things that i didn't catch before i'm recognizing themes in it that i i was too thick to recognize the first time around because i was just i was just deeply entrenched in how rich the dialogue is it's mm-hmm. it's a show that is for people who love language and and wholeheartedly, like you you love flowery language, you love gutter trash language, you love an artful mixture of the two. <laughs> That's pretty much the the best described way way of talking about Deadwood is it's backwards Shakespeare mm. with a whole lot of the word cocksucker put in. As you do, as you do. Uh, but, and then I also listened to a lot of Stephen Tobolowsky talking stories about shooting Deadwood and how insane and genius David Milch is. Mm -hmm. And that just made it even more fascinating to me. Uh, The thing that I noticed on my last run through of the show, which was only, I want to say maybe six, seven months ago, I, I discovered that all of the older HBO shows are on Amazon prime. So I started going through uh, Deadwood again, and I really noticed that the the main theme throughout all three seasons as one large story is the theme of 
community. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that the the town of Deadwood, which starts as the camp of Deadwood, like it's not even a town when the show begins. It's just a rough amalgamation of people in mostly tents. Like it's it's a shanty town essentially. Mm-hmm. And then from there towards the end of the show, they've established permanence. They've built like an entire thoroughfare with permanent facades on all the buildings. There's a bank. There's, you know, there are businesses that didn't even exist prior to the beginning of that season. Mm -hmm. You watch the town grow and you watch all of the characters who were just a bunch of people who distrusted each other and whether or not they like each other, community stands above all other problems, all other interpersonal issues that they have, especially in between like Ian McShane's character and all of the more outwardly heroic characters, Mm -hmm. such as Timothy Oliphant's character. It's, you know, at one point those characters are ready to kill each other. Like end of first season, beginning of second season, by the end of the third season, an interloper, uh, in the form of Gerald McRaney as, uh, if I, I think it's George Hurst, who at the time he was known throughout America as this guy who would just roll into little mining camps and towns, buy up everything and just ruin everybody in his quest for, for the color as he's, as he puts it for the gold. <laughs> and the fact that this guy is perceived as a carpetbagger who isn't worth the sense of community that's developed between all of these people who aren't necessarily friends, but they have a grudging respect for each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird that this show that seemed like, okay, it's it's a bunch of cutthroats and thieves who may or may not slit each other's throats by the end of the episode, by the end of the season, by the end of the show. All of them banding together to face an interloper like that it's it's about it's about a microcosm of society and the way people will group together against a common foe like that mm-hmm. and it's oh it's such an amazing show just in terms of it's a it's an acting showcase it's a writing powerhouse it's it's never going to not be one of my top like four or five shows of my lifetime yeah. So uh, definitely thank you, Landon, for that question. That was a great idea for something to kind of prime everybody for us returning is something that something that we're still interested in, something that we're still loyal to after all these years. Absolutely. I can't really even think of anything else that I would pull up other than like, I mean, obvious things. I mean, like I still play Pokemon, even the new releases. Um still like dragon ball z and the dragon ball universe even though i haven't been an active participant in like watching dragon ball super i oh one good one is avatar i definitely like last airbender i remember it was like right before we started our first podcast like uh, armchair thinkers i think i finally watched avatar and liked it and it wasn't until i think a little bit after um we ended uh media sandwich for the first time i got my wife to watch avatar last airbender with me and she liked it like she finally liked it and i was really i loved going through the second time to see it again like wow i just 
I love this so much. And then I finally watched Legend of Korra, mostly on my own. I love that. And then just this last year, I showed my three-year-old, like two and then three-year-old Charlie, Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And he loved both of those. And I was so pleased to get to watch through Last Airbender a third time and Legend of Korra a second time and share it with my son who got super into it. And then I was just really sad that it was over. Like, oh, man. I don't think I can, yeah. I don't think I can top that as a good show to share with Charlie. I'll I'll have to try it with with my boy Robert uh again. I I tried to show it to him I think a little too early and he's you know, he he's not really a he's not really a television watcher who can sit still yet. He's mm-hmm. still he wants to get up and act out what he's seeing on TV. Yeah, and that's definitely a show that has a gr- lot of great stuff to act out. Yeah, but uh he does he has a healthy appreciation for Appa. Mm-hmm. He's got a he's got a very nice stuffed Appa that was a gift from uh, from our good friend Gus, who actually got me into that show initially. Same. So yeah, we've got a nice stuffed Appa. That's my my boy Roberts, and then and then also we have a uh, a, a stuffed uh, version of the the equivalent for Cora. Uh, it's been so long since I watched Cora. What was the name of her uh, her polar dog? Naga. Naga. Yes. I don't know why I blank on that because uh, Naga's... Naga belongs to my daughter. Naga is not as prominent as Appa was. Appa was like you. He was one of the f- five main characters of that show. Really, well, six, I guess, if you call it, consider Momo, and I do. But yeah, Appa was integral. Uh, Naga is used a lot but less as like a main focus yeah yeah well it's it's a very different kind of show i think oh yeah it's i definitely have more opinions on cora now that i've seen that twice through some great stuff a lot of my problems with last airbender which there wasn't a lot but like my nitpicks all got resolved in legend of cora which was Mm -hmm. great to see like i'm like hey where did where's the origin of this give me some answers to this why can't someone have more than one bending except for the avatar why why don't we ever see mixed races why don't we ever see in like in legend of course like uh, here's the answer to everything you nitpicked about I'm like oh uh i rescind my uh nitpicks yeah withdrawn that's and, a great follow-up series uh yeah. especially when these days you're seeing a lot of that where it's like we're gonna take a, a show that everybody liked and anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 years later we're just gonna do a follow-up show that's kind of the same thing but kind of not you know we you know fuller house is a big deal on netflix for somebody that's uh because people are stupid well that's eh, not fair it, to people but eh, people... i'm not gonna yuck anybody's yum but that's true that's true but Long meanwhile long. you know you've got uh update shows like uh i i hear that they they're doing uh Oh, what the hell was the one that I just heard about where they're they're going to come back and do Roseanne, I think. Yeah, they're rebooting Roseanne. Rebooting Roseanne, and I I did see... Well, I mean, of course, there's a new Star Trek coming out as well. Of course. And anytime there's an update show like that, there's always they're always running the risk of, is it going to be pure fan service? Is it going to be the total opposite where no fan of the original show is really going to be interested and you're, they're just kind of going for new viewers. And Cora was this rare bird where it has the exact tone and vibe of the original show 
while the plot and the the kind of moral exploration of the of the universe that they created is totally different and a little bit more mature it's you know it's kind of like how the one of the common reasons why people love the Harry Potter series is because you kind of grow with the characters and as they and their adventures mature so are the readers maturing mm mm-hmm. And Korra gives that, it gives that opportunity to people who love The Last Airbender. Yeah. So good stuff. Yeah. So again, thank you for that question. Yeah, it was great. And this is pretty much where we're going to wrap it today. And you say, wait a minute, uh, excuse me, Christo- Christopher and uh, Kyle, uh, I believe you said last time you were going to talk about D&D. Uh, where did you talk about D&D? Oh, uh, here we're talking about D&D uh, to let you know that in episode three, we will talk about TNT. Yes, we uh, run out of time, which is okay. That's fine. This happens. We will discuss D&D next time for sure. We will give you a little taste of our characters that we talked about, some things we want to do in the future. I will tell you all about growing the my my dwarf fighter that I elabor- I created. Yes, and uh, how he relates to my character, which is Prattle, the halfling bard. Mm-hmm. And they, we will definitely tell some stories of that. We'll tell some of the greatest stories of our campaign that we've had so far, our greatest campaign of two nights that we've had, which is still great. Lots of great stories of that. And I can tell some stories from other D&D stuff and going forward. Uh, next time, I'll also give a fuller, more complete view of my Switch thoughts. Because yeah. I, I, I have so many more thoughts now since, I, since last time. I have played it in handheld so much now. Um, and this is a little taste of my f- feelings on the Switch right now. Is this is probably the best handheld that Nintendo's ever made? I can't wait to see what their next console's going to be. <laughs> Ooh, that is the most backhanded of compliments. It really is, and I'll elaborate next time on why <laughs> saying that. Because boy, do I have some opinions on this being a console and a handheld, and how one of those things works and one of those things don't works so get ready for some D and switch in episode three as usual of course if you would to recommend some guests we would love to hear some guests who you like uh or who you don't ever want us to bring on like that's also important to note because that lets <laughs> us know i mean it's weird i mean yeah it's very specific as opposed to the hey this is what we want this will make it easy the hey here's what we don't want like that's good to know though yeah i'll i'll take recommendations of people you really don't want to hear us talk to like hey you, you know we we did mention that guy who wore the swastika armband who got knocked out don't have him on yeah that's fair easy very mm-hmm. easy yeah i remember last time we did media sandwich i we kept saying you know see if uh a president of this or other united states would like to be on our podcast i don't think we want that anymore no it's no, good I, I, I would mm-hmm. i would love a former president and not just not just the most recent one i'll take any former president yeah that'd be point. great i'd love to have nixon on the program uh nope. at any rate if you do have suggestions of things to talk about or guests or if you want to tell if you want to tell chris your opinions on the switch or you want to talk with me about westerns or you want any anything you want to do it's real easy to find us all over mm-hmm. social media uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Martinak. And I'm at the Chris Pranger. 
and the show itself is at media underscore sandwich. And then also uh, we're on Facebook. You can uh, like the Facebook page, which uh, you can find at facebook.com slash media sandwich show. And uh, not only do we have the episodes updated there, we also have uh, posts from the blog, which at this point, it's mostly just me talking about movies a lot. And I've got a regular column where I'm talking about great acting moments that I call lemon face, lion face. Which I love that. And then I've got uh, one where I talk about movie release dates as a form of marketing, which I call treated and released. <laughs> and then just some general movie reviews and uh, blogs. I, I am toying with continuing one that's just my regular blog that I that's just the TLDR, too long, didn't read. Because mm-hmm. it's really long, usually. <laughs> and uh, you can find all of that stuff at the Facebook page or all all the things that I do that I'm that I'm writing and the episodes of course are found at our uh, our show page which is uh, media-sandwich.blogspot.com and uh, if if you think it might be a good idea for us to get a nice shorter URL there might be a donate button soon <laughs> so that you can maybe help us out with that and in the meantime, make sure that you subscribe to Blue Apron. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, Harry's Razors, which is also Dollar Shave Club in my Conspiracy Theory podcast that d- exists on a secret RSS feed that you can find on an Easter egg within the website that does not actually exist. There you go. All right, that's that for today. We will see you next time for D&D and Switch. Sounds great. Sounds great.